Well, happy Easter. Hope your world is going well these days. It's hard to believe it's Easter again. I remember uh, not this March, but a year ago March, when the government first began uh, talking about shutting everything down for, uh, for uh, COVID. I remember a large church in the Lower Mainland announcing that they were going to be closed for four weeks from the middle of March until the beginning of Easter. And I thought, that's crazy. What church? I mean, what business? Who would be closed for four weeks? Uh, but in fact, here we are. Uh, more than a year later, we are still celebrating Easter online. But in fact, we are celebrating Easter, and so it's a great day. Thank you for joining us from wherever you find yourself. If you're new, if you're just checking it out here today, if you're visiting, I want to say a special welcome to you. My name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, you know, even in COVID, our lives are fairly busy, maybe a little bit monotonous, but often fairly busy. But I wonder if ever uh, along the way, you just pause every once in a while and sort of ask this question, am I headed in the right direction? Am I making the right decisions in life? Am, am, am I kind of going down the right path? And I, I suspect that doesn't happen very often. But you know, every once in a while, you're, like, you're just kind of going the way you're busy with all of life and you glance over at someone who's also kind of running along and, and you look again and you begin to compare. You're like, well, they're doing that and I'm doing this and they're doing... And as you compare, you kind of come to this place where you start to wonder, well, I wonder if I'm making the right choices. I, I wonder if, I, if I'm on the right path, if I'm headed the right direction. Now, other times, those kind of questions come up when we, when we hit a, a roadblock. I mean, when we come to a dead end or where there's a crisis in our life. And, and then often we spend more time. We make the time in our life to really begin to ask those questions. But sometimes those questions come up at the oddest times. Like when things are going really good, everything is positive, but then there's this thing kind of in the back of our mind, like, I wonder if I'm missing something. I wonder, I wonder if it's not just if, if I'm still getting this right. In some ways, that's where we are in our culture these days as well. We kind of have this, this place where there, things are going so good in so many ways. The science, the technology, the strides we're making in our culture are unbelievable. And yet there's still this incredible sense of discontent, discontent among us. A guy named uh, Steven Pinker from Harvard University, he points out how good things are going. In his book, Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress, he points out that the data shows that, that around the globe, in general, levels of violence are dropping, and poverty is on the decline, and uh, warfare is going down. And in fact, uh, the, the uh, life expectancy is going up, and there's improved health care. And by the data, things are going quite, quite a bit better around the world. Another writer and thinker, Yuval Noah Harari, makes a similar case in his book, Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow. He argues that in the past, we used to turn to God because we couldn't control the world around us. We didn't know what was going on, and so we needed to turn to God. But now we don't anymore because we're figuring out how to manage everything. In fact, he writes this. He says this. At the dawn of the third millennium, humanity wakes up to an amazing realization. Most people rarely think about it, but the last few decades, we have managed to reign in famine, plague, and war. Of course, these problems have not been completely solved, but they have been transformed from incomprehensible and uncontrollable forces of nature into manageable challenges. We don't need to pray to any god or saint to rescue us from them. We know quite well what needs to be done in order to prevent famine, plague, and war. And we are usually succeed in doing it. Things are better. And they keep getting better. Which often leads us, at least at a societal level, to think that we don't need God anymore. 
And sometimes that's the case in our own lives too. As things get better, we think we don't need God in our life. We don't need to look outside of ourselves. And yet, interestingly enough, even in spite of that, there's a sense that, that things aren't necessarily better. Certainly on a societal level, that's the case. I mean, uh, the, the polls tell us that even beginning in the first decade of the new millennium, people began to be pessimistic about the future. Uh, polls show that people began to think that the future for their children, the future for our culture would be not as good as the one that they had. And in fact, there is, in our culture around us, we see, you know, a, a deepening pessimism. There's an increased polarization. There's more tribalism going on. And in fact, some of the key institutions that are kind of key for our society holding together, there's a, there's a loss of trust in those institutions. And ironically, the same science that brings us such good things and such hope also presents to us some dangers. For instance, the fact that we can travel the globe, be here or there in a couple of hours, have this global economy, which is so good, also means that when a virus starts in some corner of the world, it doesn't take long until it's a worldwide pandemic. And social media, which was supposed to bring us together in many ways, is widely blamed for dividing us more and more. And the same technology that allows us to, to fire satellites into outer space, so we have this incredible communication ability and all sorts of other good things, also allows nations to threaten one another with nuclear holocaust. On the one hand, things are getting better, and yet on the other hand, it seems that they're not. Andrew Sullivan uh, wrote a review of Steven Pinker's book, the one that spoke of all the data about how things are getting better. And he's a big fan. He looked at all the data. He said, yes, absolutely. The data is right. Things are getting better. But then he, he goes on to say this. He says this. Pinker, however, doesn't have a way of explaining why, for example, there's so much profound discontent, depression, drug abuse, despair, addiction, and loneliness in the most advanced liberal societies. As we have slowly and surely attained more progress, we have lost something that undergirds all of it. Meaning, cohesion, and a different, deeper kind of happiness than the satiation of all our earthly needs. I wonder if sometimes that's how you feel. You know, on the outside, by the data, everything's good. You know, a beautiful family, a nice home, a newish car, holidays when we could take holidays, a growing career. I mean, you tick, tick. Tick, tick, it's all, all the boxes are checked. But you know, when you stop and you, and you just have that moment, say, am I going in the right direction? Am I making the right decisions? I wonder if sometimes you feel like maybe there's, there's something missing, that maybe you're not quite getting it right. Certainly, the story of the resurrection of Jesus that we want to look at today begins with that kind of an issue in the lives of the followers of Jesus. They, they were asking that kind of question. Did we make the right decision in following Jesus? Uh, are we on the right path here? Was it worth following Jesus? And so, uh, and, and so the story that we want to look at is found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, in fact, it uh, begins at the end of chapter 23 of the Gospel of Luke. And it starts really on the evening that Jesus died. Shortly after Jesus died, a man named Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate. He was the governor. And he asked Pilate for permission to be able to take Jesus' body off the cross and to put it in a grave. And Pilate granted him that permission, so he does. And, and this is where we want to pick up the story in verse 53, or 54, rather. It says this. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb 
and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So the story of Jesus' resurrection begins with these ladies. Now Luke tells us that these ladies had followed him from Galilee. In other words, these weren't ladies who thought Jesus was kind of cool and check it out when he comes to town. These were ladies who were deeply committed to following Jesus. They'd followed him all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And they must have been shocked and horrified at what happened to Jesus. I mean, at the beginning of the week, he entered Jerusalem to people shouting Hosanna. And yet in the middle of the week, near the end of the week, in the course of literally 24 hours, he was arrested and tried and tortured and then brutally executed on a cross. And they must have been asking this question. Did we make the right choice here? I mean, did we make the right decision to follow Jesus? Was this w worth it? And, uh, and so now, now there's this sort of dissonance in their life. There's this disconnect in their world around them. But they love Jesus. They're committed to Jesus. And so they wait out the Sabbath day until the first day of the week, Sunday morning early, where they go. And their plan is to prepare his body for permanent burial. They wrapped it in spices like they did in that day. And this is what happened next, beginning in chapter 24, verse 1. Luke tells us this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. So these ladies, I mean, they go to the tomb. And they knew where the tomb was. They'd watched Jesus' body be put in it. When they showed up there early on Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And Luke says that they were perplexed. Yeah, no kidding, they were perplexed. I mean, imagine the kind of disorientation in their life. If you've ever had your car stolen or towed, you know this kind of feeling. I mean, you, you drove your car, you parked it, you went into wherever you did, and when you came back, it was gone. But it, it should be there. And you're looking around, right street, right address, right place where I was. And yet, and yet, it's not there. And there's this sense of dissonance, and, and, and you're saying, what is going on? And that's what these ladies were feeling. They're like, right tomb. Yes, I know this is the right tomb. Stone rolled away. Why would that be? Body missing. What, what on earth? Where would, the, where would the body go? And as they're kind of in this perplexed state, two angels appear. And they begin, and they ask this question. They say, why are you looking for the, the living among the dead? Now, that would have been a strange question for them because they weren't looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead, and this was the place. In fact, this was the tomb, and this was the particular tomb in which they'd put the dead person. But then they go on to say this, he is not here, but he is risen. Now, if they were perplexed and confused before, I mean, their mind must have been absolutely spinning now. What do you, what do you mean he's alive? What, what do you mean he is risen? Yet that's exactly what happened. That's what God did. God had come and raised Jesus from the grave. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus was the very linchpin of God's plan for all of history. 
You know, God's plan for history began with, with the creation of the world. And he created it so good and so beautiful. And you don't have to look far to see that. I mean, look at the mountains where we live and the river. And I mean, the glorious place that he's, he's put us in. Look at our own body, how intricately it has been created. God made it so good and so beautiful. But the fact of the matter is that our world is stained and marred by sin. And again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. You just look at the pain and the brokenness in the world around us. In fact, you can look in your own world, in your own life. You know this pain and brokenness because we all have that. But God's not willing to abandon all of that. And so he, he has this plan. He sends his own son to take on flesh, to live among us, to, to live this sinful life, and then to go and willingly suffer and, and, and hang on a cross and die. And all of the sins of the world are placed on him. And God pours out all of the wrath that is due to you and I for our sins. He pours it on his own son so that if we're willing to accept it, that we don't have to have that wrath poured onto our life. But he doesn't stop there. The plan wasn't just to pay for the price of our sins. His plan was much more than that. And so on the third day, he rises Jesus from the grave. And the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruits of what God wants to do. In, in other words, it's the beginning of God's plan to redeem and restore you and me and really all of creation. In other words, it doesn't just end at the cross. It carries on at the resurrection. And, and God is in the process of the kingdom of God breaking in and being assigned to the world of what God wants to do until that day when Jesus returns. And on that day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's because of the resurrection of Jesus. We too will be resurrected with physical bodies. And for us, the end isn't some, you know, disappearing into oblivion, nothing else. But neither is it sitting on clouds playing a harp for eternity. No, rather the end means spending eternity on this earth in a physical body with God himself in, in our presence. You see, that's what the, what the, what the, rev, uh, the resu resurrection is all about. It is for us, when we understand the resurrection, it is a, a Copernicanium revolution. By that, I mean, you, you remember Copernicus? I mean, he looked at the world around him, and everyone thought that the sun revolved around the earth. But when he looked carefully, he realized that, in fact, the earth revolves around the sun. Now, in the moment when he came to that realization, nothing had changed. Everything in the world was the same, and yet everything had changed. And the same is true when it comes to the resurrection. That's the, that's the moment when we understand what God did through Jesus, where even though nothing has changed, everything for us has changed. That's why the angels asked these ladies, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You see, they were looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. They were looking for the dead among the dead rather than looking for Jesus who was alive and not there. And yet too often, this is still the case for us. Too often, we still are asking questions not in light of the resurrection, but just in light of this world around us. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for life in places that ultimately lead to brokenness and heartache and death, rather than looking for life from the one who conquered and is victorious over life? Why do you look to the world around you for cues for how to live rather than looking to the one who is resurrected and knows better than anyone else what life is all about? Why do you look to your own strength to, to try to be good enough to be justified before God rather than looking to Jesus' death and resurrection? 
Why do you look at current events as if they will drown us, as if they will sweep us away, rather than looking at the world around you in light of the fact that Jesus has risen and alive and sitting at the right hand of God the Father? Sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves this. Am I asking the right questions? Because if you're not asking the right kinds of questions, you're going to come to the wrong conclusions. You know, I don't know if you've ever uh, been to these escape rooms. You know, they popped up all over the place over the last couple of years. Uh, they're a place where you go. You pay money for someone to lock you in a room. And then you have to follow the clues to find the key to get out of the room that you paid someone to lock you in. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, but it's actually a lot of fun. And if you've ever done it, I've done it. You know, you get in there and you get this clue, which leads to another clue, which leads to another clue. But often at some point, it's like, this clue should lead to this, but it doesn't. And so you try it again, and it still doesn't. You talk to the people you're with, and it still doesn't. And it just doesn't make sense because this is where it should lead. You know, uh, if you get to a place like that, they give you a walkie-talkie, and you can, you can call the guy who knows the way out of the room, and he'll give you a clue. And often the clue is in the way of a question. And he'll say, have you thought about this or that? And that question suddenly, suddenly changes everything. You're still in the same room, same group of people, same clues that led there, but suddenly you're like, oh, I see it. Yes, of course. How could I have not seen it? And it opens up a new way of seeing things. And this is what the resurrection should do for us. Jesus' resurrection is the key. It's the clue that opens our eyes to see the world in light of what God is doing, what God is doing in history and where he is leading us. Same world as everyone else. But we understand that we're no longer the center of the universe. The sun doesn't revolve around us. Rather, our lives revolve around the sun. And so our questions should always start with an understanding of Jesus' resurrection. All right? Our questions should always start with, if Jesus has risen from the grave. Because Jesus has risen from the grave, how do I think about all the current events going on around us? If Jesus has risen from the grave, because he has risen from the grave, how do I think about how to find satisfaction in this life? Because Jesus has risen from the grave, how is it that I ought to think about my marriage and my work and my money and my time? Because Jesus has risen from the grave, how should I think about the, the difficult things in my life, about the crises that I face, about the health issues that come my way, about the pain and the brokenness in the world around me? Because, because Jesus has risen from the grave, it changes how we look at everything. Are you asking the right questions? Because if you ask the right questions, you'll come to the right conclusions. But if you're asking the wrong questions, you'll end up in a place that leads you away from life. Questions we ask are important. There's one more question that all of us has to wrestle with, and that's this. Am I making informed decisions? I mean, if you want to know if you're on the right path, if, if, you, if you want to ask the right kind of questions, then you need to be well-informed when you ask those kinds of questions. And when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, there's hot debate over whether it actually happened or not. Not only in our day, but throughout history. And in fact, going back to the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, there's all this huge debate. In fact, Luke tells us about it. Goes, uh, he tells the story. It goes on from here. In verse 9, he says this. And returning from the tomb, they, the ladies, told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them 
an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Three different responses to the resurrection of Jesus. The first response came from the ladies, and their response was to believe in the resurrection. Now they had some advantages. They'd met the angels. They'd seen the empty tomb, and they knew that they were at the right place. And, and Luke doesn't tell this, but Matthew tells us at the end of his gospel, as they were leaving the garden, these ladies ran into the risen Jesus. So they had a fair bit of evidence that Jesus, in fact, had risen from the grave. But the fact of the matter is, whether or not you were there, there is all kinds of fairly significant evidence that points to the fact that Jesus was risen from the grave. And those who carefully examine it, who carefully look at it and consider the facts, generally come to that kind of a conclusion. Now, some people say, well, I'm not going to believe unless I have ironclad proof. The problem is such a demand is unattainable. It, it can't be done. There is no ironclad proof for the resurrection. But by the same token, there's no ironclad proof for any other major foundation for any other worldview. I mean, you can't have ironclad proof for how the world began. And philosophers who study this, regardless of their position on it, are very careful not to demand ironclad proof because nobody can provide it for any position. Rather, the question is, where does the evidence lead? And again, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is fairly strong. Everyone from the theologian Tim Keller, who's looked at it very carefully, to the atheist uh, journalist, a guy named Lee Strobel, who set out to genuinely investigate the resurrection, uh, to another atheist, a cold case detective named uh, J. Warner Wallace. When they looked at the evidence, in the clear light of day, without a bias, have come to see that the resurrection, in fact, took place, that it's true. And so there are those, there are millions and millions who have looked at that evidence and said, yes, Jesus rose from the grave. So these women, they saw the evidence and they believed. And so they went back to tell the disciples about it, those who were closest to Jesus. And their response, they rejected, they, they, they rejected the claims of these ladies out of hand. In fact, Luke says that they thought what the women said, he says, was an idle tale. The word that uh, is used there in Greek in other places is literally translated as delusional. They thought those ladies, they're literally delusional. They've gone nuts. Now, they held that, no doubt, because, you know, it's not every day that someone rises from the grave, but also probably because they were somewhat sexist. You know, in that, in that culture, in that day, women uh, were viewed as not uh, being capable to give credible evidence in a court of law. Their testimony was not admissible because it was considered that women didn't have the faculties and the ability to really see and notice what was going on. So the disciples had an automatic bias. As soon as these women claimed to have seen this, they're like, yeah, yeah, you're women. You couldn't possibly have seen what you thought you saw. And yet the fact of the matter is they knew these women. I mean, this wasn't just sort of random women walking by saying, hey, Jesus rose from the grave. This was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. I mean, they'd walked with these people. They knew these people. They were normal people who were walking in the same direction and had spent time with them. And yet, and yet they, they simply wrote off what they had said. And sometimes that's the case today for people who are skeptics. I mean, they know good Christians, people who are hardworking and decent and friendly and outgoing and well-educated and who believe that Jesus rose from the grave. 
And yet they, they have this sort of automatic bias that says, well, you're a Christian, so that part I just don't believe. And, 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 and instead of investigating, instead of checking it out, they just do like the, the disciples did on that day. They just said, no, that's nuts. Can't possibly be. You know, I have a, a good friend who doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And we have these great conversations around faith and belief, and they're just respectful and, and, and great, great conversations back and forth. But at one point, I had to remind him. I said, you know, I didn't grow up under a rock. I, I, I grew up in the same culture as everyone else. And from my youngest days, I've been taught that there is no God. In elementary school, in university, I sat under brilliant very learned professors who set out the case for why there is no God. It's the subtext of almost every movie or, or show that I've ever watched. It's literally the air that we breathe when it comes to our culture. So it isn't like I haven't had an opportunity to think and to examine that particular worldview quite in depth. And yet, in spite of that, when I look carefully at the claims of Jesus, and the evidence for the resurrection, I still say, oh no, I believe that Jesus was risen. And yet so many who are skeptics never take the time to look the other way. They, they have only sort of learned and lived in this one particular side of things. And the question, if you would put yourself in that skeptic world, is this, are you making an informed decision? Uh, you know, when it comes to these big decisions, are you, have you ever taken the time to just really, genuinely, Openly investigate whether, in fact, this is true. You know, in that moment, most of the disciples simply wrote off the resurrection as utterly impossible, as ridiculous. All of them except one. Peter gets up, and he goes to the tomb. And he goes, he finds the empty tomb. He finds the linen that was wrapped around Jesus' body. And then he turns around and leaves. And he doesn't find the answers he's looking for in that moment. But in Peter, there's this hunger that, that maybe, just maybe, there's something true about this thing that the, the ladies are talking about. I mean, Peter had followed Jesus. He, he'd had this hope that, that maybe there was more to this life, that maybe, in fact, Jesus was who he said he was, that maybe through Jesus there would be meaning and purpose and hope for this life. And so he goes and and he investigates, and he comes back. It says he marveled. In other translations, it says he wondered. Come back wondering, like, what is going on here? And I wonder, I wonder if sometimes you wonder. If, if sometimes you wonder if this whole thing might just be true. You know, it, it doesn't all make sense. There's things that you have questions about. It's not every day that somebody rises from the grave. But you wonder if there isn't just enough clues, if, there, if there's enough curiosity in your life, you've met Christians who are like normal, regular people who also believe this, and, and you want to examine. Or you're willing to examine. You say, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to take some time to really think about it. You know, if that's you, there are some ways to do that. One way is just to keep tuning in here on Sunday mornings. I mean, we just open the Word of God and we, we see what, what the Bible teaches us and how Jesus lives and we wrestle with how we live as followers of Jesus in these days. It's one way. But I'd like to invite you actually to come and to, uh, to participate in a conversation we're having uh, for people like Peter, maybe like yourself, who like, I wonder. It's called Starting Point. It's an eight-week thing. We're doing it online. You don't have to leave your home or anything like that. 
And it's a place where we play like a short clip, uh, sort of laying out one of the foundations of, of, of the Christian faith, what it means to follow Jesus. And this is an open conversation. What do you wonder about? What, what doesn't make sense? What, what just doesn't square with your experience? And, and what does? And it'd be like 16 hours out of your entire life. And chances are we've all binge-watched more than 16 hours of Netflix this past month alone. So not, why not come and just spend some time and actually ask the questions along with others who are asking the same kinds of questions and see if that isn't the case. It might just change your life. And, and if you really want to get on the deep end, we have another thing going. It's called uh, Truth and Evidence. It's a class, again, online. And that's like the deep philosophical questions. Like if you, if you like swimming on the deep end of the pool, that's an opportunity for you. And you can find that on our, on our webpage as well. There are literally hundreds of millions of people around the globe who have investigated Jesus' resurrection, who believe the evidence that points to Jesus' resurrection. Young, old, everything in between, lots of young people in this day, growing up in this culture with all of the, the things that we know and the, the things going, who are giving their life to follow the risen Jesus. But the question is, is not how does it start, but, but is it worth it over the long haul? Is it worth it to follow Jesus for years and years and years? Beginning next week, we're going to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Philippi. And we're going to examine what it means to follow Jesus uh, then and today. And as we do that, we're actually going to tell you the stories of some of the people in our church who followed Jesus for many, many years. And you know, they've got these fascinating stories. We're just going to show you one sort of throughout the, that, that sermon series. Um, but all of their stories revolved around what Jesus has done in their life. He's kind of the center of it all. He's the, 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 the son around whom their universe has revolved. And so when we interviewed them, we asked them this question. Was it worth it? Has it been worth it following Jesus all these years? And uh, here's, uh, here's what they say. Check this out. Yeah, my name is Joe Newton. I started attending the church in 1971, roughly. Oh, yes, I'm Larry Gustafson. My, my name is Heinz Volkman. My name is James Zelinski. My name is Ruth Fair. Hi, good morning. My name is Linda Nightingale. Some of the kids may remember me from Sunday school. Would you say that it has been worth it to follow after him? There are so many decisions in life. I wouldn't want to be without a guide, and the Lord is our guide. I remember the gospel message being given uh, that Jesus loved me, he died for my sins, and he rose again to prepare a place in heaven for me. And I just realized at that time that uh, I needed to make that personal decision to accept Jesus into my heart and life. So uh, it's been over 60 years now that I've been a follower of Jesus. But uh, it doesn't seem that long because you, you take one day at a time, right? And slowly they add up. Had I not come to know the Lord, had he not led me to himself <laughs> through his people, I probably would have ended up being a very different person. Well, for me, <clears throat> it was an easy decision because of the love that was around me and the love 
for Jesus that was around me. And so that wasn't a hard decision. Sometimes when I was older in my teens and so on, I was kind of jealous of people who had had sort of a rougher time in life and then come to know the Lord. Because for me, it just seemed to be natural, you know, and a decision that, uh, that I wanted to make when I was young. And I, you know, was so thankful for that. Was it worth it? Very much so. I think the uh, primary reason that it's worth it is because it gives you assurance of um, salvation, of eternal life, and, and uh, the hope that comes with it, and, uh, and the purpose in life. There's uh, something worth living for. Heinz Volkman just poured his heart and soul um, into youth uh, in this church. Um, and uh, Wes Robinson was uh, our choir leader. Carrie Davison was the, the coach of our, our church softball team. And so you look at those three guys that are all still part of the church today. Um, and they just spoke into an entire generation of you know people my age um, or in and around my age and, and younger than me, just to raise them up to know what it, it looks like to follow Jesus as a young man. But the earliest uh, known visual record of me being in the church is a, a picture that Joan Newton gave me sitting on my mother's lap in 1972 at the women's Christmas dinner. Pass on the faith to the next generation, right? We give them just, they, they see a vibrant faith in action right? Um, that's not fake, it's not phony, it's not routine, it's not any of those things. It's just, it's vibrant and alive with all of its warts and all of its messes. It's um, but yeah. it's real, exactly, it's real. Um, then they'll realize and they'll make that, at least I hope my prayer, is that they'll make the same decision I made when I was 19, is that this is real, this is worth giving your life to. Yeah, this is real. This is worth giving your life to. It's not phony. It's not fake. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even when it gets messy sometimes, it is worth it all. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus today, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, go deeper. Press into him. Trust him. And live your life every day, regardless of the questions that come up, in light of Jesus' resurrection. And if you're someone who is seeking, if you're someone who's like, I, I want Jesus in my life, you know, you can have him in your life today. He is alive. He did rise from the grave. And in fact, there is this opportunity that you have on this day to commit your life to follow him, an opportunity that you won't regret. You can have God in your life, that your life circles around him rather than thinking the whole universe circles around you. And the way you do that is by knowing Jesus and being known by him. And to do that, you simply need to say a prayer. And there's nothing sort of magical or special about prayer. You can, you can pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed or standing up with your eyes open. It's really a matter of you speaking in your heart to God. And he knows your heart. And if you want to you follow God, if you want Jesus in your life, the way to do it is to, to simply say to God, God, I believe that you're real. God, I, I see that you've created this world and everything in it and that you've created me. And I admit that I have rebelled against you, that I have not acknowledged you, that I have lived my life my own way, and I don't want to do that. I want to take, I want to accept what Jesus did on the cross, the suffering and the pain that he did in my place to atone, to pay the price for my sins. But I also want to follow the risen Jesus. I also want to follow him in this life as he is redeeming me and as he is ultimately going to redeem this world that we live in. 
And so I give myself to you. I commit to follow you. If you do that, that's the beginning of the process of, of following Jesus in your life. And I promise you, it will be worth it. It will be worth it just as these people have shared the worth of following Jesus in their life. Today is Easter. Today we celebrate together that Jesus has risen. Would you bow your heads and uh, let me pray for all of us together. Oh God, today we celebrate with joy the fact that Jesus not only came and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, but that he rose again. And God, that this is at the very center of your plan for all of creation. God, that you redeem and renew and that Jesus is the first fruits, the picture, the beginning, the one through whom you're going to do all of those things. And Father, as your followers today, as Jesus' followers today, we celebrate that. God, we rejoice in that. And God, we want to live our lives in light of the resurrection. We want to ask the questions and think about the world around us and, and navigate our relationships and the, the challenges in our life all in light of the fact that Jesus is alive, that you are at work in this world, that you are on the move, and that you invited us to join you in it. And so, God, today we give ourselves to you and we invite you to continue to lead us forward. And, Father, for those who are seeking, for those who are skeptical, those who have questions, Father, meet them where they're at. Father, open their heart to just, just be willing to say, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. And, Father, would you draw them to you? So, God, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.